Today is the last Sunday of our six-week series called Entrusted, where we've been looking at stewardship. You'll see the, the images behind me that we'll reference there at the end, but we're today focusing on the last one, stewarding the gospel. And today is also the last Sunday of the church year. Uh, if you don't know much about the church calendar, the liturgical calendar, the first Sunday of the church calendar really begins on Advent Sunday, which surprisingly is next Sunday, already here. But we end the year, we begin at speaking and preparing ourselves for the arrival of the Christ child. And then we move throughout the year and talking about the story of the church and Jesus. And we end on this Sunday, which is known as Christ the King Sunday. We end with this declaration, this focus on Christ as our King. From beginning to end, all things, creator and redeemer of all things, in all things, the one true king. And so it's an exciting way for us to think about that as we head into Advent to sit in this moment today and declare who Christ is to us as a church. And so that's kind of our focus today, even as we talk about stewarding the gospel. I invite you to follow along with our text either on the screens or in any Bibles that you brought or the Bibles in front of you. We're looking at Colossians and we'll be in the first chapter, the beginning of this letter, and I'll begin reading there in verse 11. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power so that you may have all endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Let's pray together. And God, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In my home are multiple cherished family heirlooms. Unlike eating my vegetables when I was growing up, these were not forced upon me. I chose each one to be in my home, which says a lot because I'm semi-minimalist and so I'm really careful about what comes in to my house. My bedroom set belonged to my mom's parents. Uh, my daily silverware and a lot of my kitchen items belong to my dad's parents. The beautiful writing cherry desk in my living room belong to my great-great-grandparents on my dad's side. 
And I love to think about my family when I use these items, picturing them around the table, sharing a meal together, or one of them writing at that desk. I can still remember seeing my grandma write on the calendar the weather for every day. And I like to think of them even going to the merchant or the store and picking these things out to buy with their own money, never imagining that one day their great-great-granddaughter would have these things in her home and cherish them. And so um, one of the other most cherished items in my home is this family Bible that belonged to my great-great-grandparents, George and Rita Mast. And while there are a few newspaper clippings inside from stories about our family, the, the grand narrative of this Bible that I think matters most is the story of faith, the legacy of faith passed down through generations to today. And I imagine if I were to have a conversation with my grandparents, they would say to me that they hope more than anything that the thing that they passed along to the next line of people in their family was a belief in Jesus Christ and a devotion to him. Now, I also think they'd be pretty impressed at how well their things have held up, too. And just down the hall from our sanctuary are cherished pieces of our church's rich history, which began all the way back in 1837. 185 years of stories of faithfulness and failings, stories of family celebrations and family squabbles as well. And often when I walk down this hallway and I look at the, past, the photos of some of our former pastors on the wall, I stop and wonder what they would think of our church today. Our music style, our fashion style, the youth running through the church in darkness playing their favorite game, or the fact that there's a female pastor talking to their photos hanging on the wall. Like my great-great-grandparents, I imagine what the saints who came before us at First Baptist would, would most hope is that we have stayed true to our devotion to Jesus Christ and that we have been good stewards of the gospel message. You see, buildings come and go. We know that. Programs and traditions come and go. Members and pastors come and go. But what remains is Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. See, this has been the core anthem of our church for, and the church for all ages. It is the declaration of our faith in the authority of Christ. And yet, it's easy for anthems of the day to overpower this anthem of truth. See, this was true for the, the people of Colossae, whom Paul writes to in our text today. You see, from prison, Paul has heard from a friend who planted this church that they are being faithful in obedience to God, but yet there are some who are being confused by the culture around them and misled. They're being disoriented by some of the teachings that go contrary to the teachings of the apostles. In Colossae, there was this confusing mixture of local religious, folk religious uh, beliefs and local Jewish beliefs, um, the Roman Empire's influence, the influence of people who came from all over to this trade city, 
And then now you add the ways and the teachings of Jesus in the middle, and things were getting a little muddy. See, there was a temptation to surrender their lives to the authorities and dominions around them, which seemed to control them anyway, and to put hope in their own works and obedience to the laws rather than in Jesus Christ. You need help with war? Well, you pray to um, the god Mars, and maybe he'll help you in battle. Need a little help with love? Maybe the goddess Aphrodite will be your friend. Do you want power and influence? Well, align yourself to the empire or overthrow it and create your own. You want to ensure your salvation with the Lord? Follow the rules. All of these things were tempting them and muddying the waters, and it's into those waters that Paul writes this letter to believers that he'd never met, but that he wanted to encourage, and he wanted to address these cultural prefer- the, these pressures from the culture around them, and that he also wanted to encourage them in their devotion to Jesus Christ. So the very beginning of this letter is this beautiful prayer from Paul, who wants to thank God for these believers in Colossae and their faithfulness. And he wants it to, incur, to, uh, to continue. And so he very quickly moves to this idea of instead of focusing on the how, I'm going to focus on the why. And that why is Jesus. See, Paul knows that devotion to Christ can't really be commanded, but it instead is inspired by the beauty and the power of love in Christ. It captivates you. And so Paul moves to this beautiful poem or hymn about the beauty and the power of Jesus the creator and the redeemer of all. Verses 15 through 20 in our text today are what are known as a Christ hymn. It's a hymn or a poem that teaches about Christ. And hymns and songs have long been used in cultures, right? We're familiar with that. We have our songs. We have our songs as Americans. Subcultures within the U.S. have their songs, Churches, Christians have our songs. The Romans, Romans had their hymns as well. They sing songs about everything to help indoctrinate and form people in the ways of the empire. And Jews and non-Jews that were living under Roman rule would have known these songs, even if they never sang them or had no conviction about them. They were familiar with these teachings. And so in response, early believers often took the tradition of Jewish resistance poetry And they created hymns and poems that they could sing to challenge the narrative of the day. And this form of literature sometimes challenged us very indirectly and sometimes very directly. And it helped the community of believers remember what is truth when they're hearing all different songs around them. I want you to think of it like when we sing it is well with my soul. When the world around us tells us it is not well. Or when we're going through storms or rough waters and we're tempted to doubt God's faithfulness. I go quickly to it as well, to remember truth. Or how we sing Jesus loves me. And we teach our children that song so they remember the truths of that. Or even in the great protest songs of We Shall Overcome. Or Billie Holiday's song about strange fruit which call out very directly the sin of racism. There's something about songs and hymns and poems that speak to us in ways that we can't sometimes see. They open up our hearts through these melodies and then hopefully our eyes as well. In the commentary, Colossians Remixed, the authors argue that this hymn is almost somewhat treasonous. 
And the authors go through each line of this hymn and how it challenges the perception of that day to put your hope in the powers of the world or the empire and how Paul was confronting these things with his response about Jesus's authority and superiority. Caesar's image during that time was everywhere, everywhere, and Caesar was often described as the beginning. Yet in this hymn, Paul boldly proclaims that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and Jesus is the beginning. You see, Paul is saying Christ is sovereign, not the emperor. Christ is sovereign, not the nation. Christ is sovereign, not the economy. Christ is sovereign, not anyone else. So before Paul ever addresses the the cultural things in more detail, he begins this letter with this powerful Christ hymn declaring Christ as creator and redeemer of all things by reminding them that Jesus holds everything together. Jesus is everything. Jesus is king. Now whether in first century Colossae or in 21st century United States, uh, the cautions of the Colossians are necessary. There are so many things in our world and around us that want to be God to us, that want to direct us, that want our allegiance. Our Western consumer culture seeks to have first place in our hearts. Our national identity seeks to have first place in our hearts. Our preferences, our comforts, our family, our work, all of those things seek constantly to have first place in our lives. Yet these things ultimately fail to meet our hopes and our needs, and they actually just set us up for these endless cycles of disappointment and pain. Some of these things are necessary, even beneficial, but they cannot be our source of hope or the thing that has our greatest allegiance. That is reserved for Christ and Christ alone. The question to think about this morning is how are we stewarding the gospel? How are we stewarding it for those of us today and for those who come behind us? Paul stewarded the gospel here in reminding them what was true and who was truth and superior to all things. Do people, when they see our lives, do they know that Christ is our beginning and our end? Do they hear our words and our tone and believe that we've been transferred from this kingdom to God's kingdom where love prevails? Do they read our social media posts and see and experience the good news of Jesus? Later on in chapter three of Colossians, Paul writes these words to those who have been entrusted with the good news. Each of you is now a new person You are becoming more and more like your creator and you will understand him better. It doesn't matter if you are a Greek or a Jew or if you are circumcised or not. You may even be a barbarian or the worst kind of barbarian, a Scythian. And you may be a slave or a free person. Yet Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. God loves you and has chosen you as his own special people. So be gentle, kind, humble, meek, and patient. Put up with each other, 
and forgive anyone who does you wrong just as Christ has forgiven you. Love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything completely together. Each one of you is part of the body of Christ and you were chosen to live together in peace. So let the peace that comes from Christ control your thoughts and be grateful. Let the message about Christ completely fill your lives while you use all your wisdom to teach and instruct each other. With thankful hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Whatever you say or do should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus as you give thanks to God the Father because of him. There's a funny cartoon from years ago with an older dad standing outside the open door of his garage, which is stuffed full of things, every square inch covered. And he's standing there with his adult son and his hand on his back and he says, son, one day all of this can be yours. These family heirlooms that I cherish, that I value in my home, may very well end with me. And that's okay. They're just things. I'm not going to force them upon my niece and nephew. I'll tell them about them, but it's their choice. This is not what I'm called to steward most with those who come behind me. See, there are a lot of things, traditions, and practices that are really precious to us that we want to pass on to others who come behind us, but they're not necessarily theirs to have to take. What we've been entrusted to is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the creator and redeemer of all. In verse 22, two verses after our text today, Paul writes this, this message, the message. By giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. And every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. This is the gospel entrusted to us. There is no other message, just this one. That through the cross, Christ has provided the sacrifice needed to redeem us and reconcile us to God. Christ is king. All that we have, all that we are, vocation, creation, gifts, wealth, gospel, all, is entrusted us for the glory of God and the good of others in the name of Christ our King. I want us to conclude today by saying aloud, proclaiming aloud together this Christ hymn, this declaration of who Christ is, the sovereignty of Christ the King, spoken by believers throughout the ages and hopefully the ages to come. Will you read this aloud with me, beginning with he is the image. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him 
all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are Lord of Lords and King of all kings. We pray for your kingdom to reign forever in our hearts, in this church, and in our world. You are creator and redeemer of all things in heaven and on earth. And you reach out in love and forgiveness to reconcile all things to you. Lord, we often have our own plans and our own agendas. And we want to be rulers of our own world so often. And we're tempted to listen to the voices around us that declare that they are the most important, that they are sovereign in our life. And we ask you to forgive us of those times. Lord, we live in a time that would rather idolize people and earthly powers than worship you. And we ask you to help us not to live in that kingdom, but to live as your kingdom people in these times and to sing our songs of faith. God, we thank you for rescuing us from the power of darkness and for transferring us to your kingdom through the work of Jesus Christ and the cross. May you reign forever and receive all glory. Amen.